It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is your host, Shirley, and you're listening to Far Rock Live on Blog Talk Radio. Today, our guest is spoken word artist, poet, and author, Daryl Stover. Daryl was born and raised in Washington, D.C., and no doubt this man was destined to be a poet, and he knew it when he was a student at the University of Maryland. His poems were first published around 1978 in the Black Explosion newspaper. Darrell is also a performance poet who is in demand for his readings, and he is a member of the Station to Station Writers Collective and the American Writers Guild. I've known Daryl for seven years, almost since I've been in, in North, Car- uh, North, Car- North Carolina. I don't recall our first meeting, but I do remember us running into each other at several events here in town. One specific event that sticks out in my mind is when we ran into each other at an event at Duke University here in North Carolina when Angela Davis was in town, and that was a couple of years ago. And one of the things that I don't let him forget about that event is that he took a picture of Angela and myself together, and instead of saying, one, two, three, are you ready, he just kind of snapped the picture, and of course it looked like I was stone drunk (laughs) when I finally saw the the final copy of the picture. Um, We're waiting for Daryl to call in. He hasn't called in yet. So I'm going to take a little intermission and play a little bit of some Sonia Sanchez for you.
much longer than death that splinters with her innuendos, my life. All my alien life is like an echo of nostalgia, bringing blue screens to bury clouds, rinsing white stones stretched among the seas, rinsing white stones stretched among the seas. You man, will you remember me when I die? Will you stare and feign my death and say I saw her dancing among swallows far from the world's obscenity? You man, will you remember and cry? And I have not long, always, while the body prowls, the soul catalogs its death, while the unconscious unbridled seeks the flesh not towards the shore of. Oh, I have not long, with legs stretched like storms against cheeks, with stomachs straining the piracy of oceans, with mouths discarding the gelatin to shake the sharp self. You man, will you remember me when I die? Will you stare and stain my death and say I saw her dancing among swallows, far from the world's obscenities? You man, will you remember and cry? Another great person here in the North Carolina area, about, I think she was here about 2004, and she did a performance at the University of Chapel Hill, uh, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and that was one of the most dynamic shows I have ever had the opportunity to witness. I've never seen the spoken word acted out to the degree that Sonia Sanchez and her entourage did. And Daryl is calling in now. One moment while I put him on. Daryl? Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How is everybody? Everybody is absolutely terrific, and thank you so much for calling in. I know you are so busy, ripping and running up and down the highway all the time. Yes, I am. I done zoomed from Greensboro and stopped off in the heart of Haytie, here in Durham, North Carolina, to yell at you. Uh, well, we certainly appreciate it, and you know I appreciate it. Are you getting ready for the upcoming Blues Festival um, well, I'm at looking, the stadium next weekend? I'm, oh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be on, and I'm looking forward to Taj Mahal especially. Oh, definitely. Then you got Rosie Ledette with her fine self, and you've got a host of other folks. Yeah, it's going to be a spectacular show, no doubt. So, Daryl, what's go? I was just telling the audience um, that I've known you just about as long as I've been in North Carolina. I don't remember when we first met, but I know we run into each other quite a lot at different events around town. And one specific event that sticks out in my mind, and I kind of remind you about it all the time, is when we went to see Angela Davis when she was at Duke. That's right. Remember, and you took that picture? That's right. <laughs> it I come out good? <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't my fault. 
Well, you didn't say one, two, three, are you ready? You just took the picture. <laughs> well, they were pushing everybody on. Everybody was trying to get a picture then, but oh, I know. there'll be another opportunity. I certainly hope so. Yeah, they had Angela Davis at North Carolina State. The next time, you're going to get you a fine picture with you and Angela. I'm looking forward to that. Because I know she is here quite a lot. I know she's been here at least two or three times since then. Yeah, she comes to the area because there's an important issue relative to the uh, prison industrial complex and uh, addressing issues of uh, the justice system and how it, in many regards, plagues our community. Right, and that's kind of what her area of focus is right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... Uh, I know that uh, you've been doing this program in, in ways that have been documenting and representing uh, culture and folks online, and that's what's a very important uh, aspect of uh, utilizing the technology in ways that uh, allow for us to have, have a real connection, because I'm sure you've got listeners that are not just located here in uh, the central part of North Carolina like we are. Exactly, and that's one of the good things about the technology today, and especially access to the Internet, because it's a worldwide um, tool, you know, and people have the opportunity to tune in not only here in the United States but anywhere um, in the world. I remember before I moved down here to North Carolina uh, 12 years ago, uh, there was actually a program paying tribute to George Clinton in Washington, D.C., and it was being held at this one particular club. And he pulled up in a limo and came into the reception that was on the first floor uh, thinking it was for him. It was actually a gathering of folks because a brother had done a book on uh, the African-American community and the Internet mm-hmm. back in the early 90s. And so I told him, I said, uh, yo, man, this is, this, this guy just wrote this book about black folks on the Internet. He said, oh, cool. He said, we're going to download it. We're going to upload it. We're going to load that sucker up. <laughs> <laughs> and then I told him about uh, the fact that his reception was upstairs, and he said, cool, bet. I see you up there. And I said, yeah. I get up there, and one of my closest friends and associates who's a percussionist of uh, significance within the context of uh his participation and contribution to the Washington, D.C. area. His name is Butch Jackson. I get up there, and he's telling me, Carol, George said we could do that uh, tribute poem of yours uh, uh, to him. And I said, what are you talking about, tribute poem? He said, you know that poem of yours, Too Funky. I said, well, yeah, it's a funky poem. I don't know if it's a tribute poem. He said, look, watch. And we go over, and here's George Clinton leaning on the bar, just cooling out. He says, yo, George, didn't you say we could uh, do that? do that point to you? He said, yeah, bet. Look, what's your names again? Butch, Daryl, when I call you, be ready to go. <laughs> and Butch had his Jim Day drum with him. And so uh, right after he gets his award, he says, I want to bring up two of my, two of my boys from D.C., Butch and Daryl. <laughs> and, <Darryl, laughs> and Butch goes immediately into that rhythm, and I immediately go into the poem, and we had a wonderful time. That was back at the tail end of 94. He invites us to uh, perform on stage. Wow. And that was a whole nother story, but we ended up uh, performing, bringing in the new year. Wow. Because <laughs> the group was performing the last three nights of 94, but uh, we ended up on that last night, although we should have been performing on the next to the last night, but 
that too is another story. But uh, I actually wrote a piece on that called Kumba Funk, because Kumba means creativity in Swahili. It's that sixth principle of Kwanzaa. And uh, it was just a very interesting series of events. And then I had the opportunity to perform with him again because he is left an open opportunity and an invitation, like, man, whenever. So he came here to to Durham at Duke University, and uh, uh, I had moved down here by then. I said, let me go and hang out out back, and here we go again. Didn't have Butch with me, but it was still fun for a minute. No doubt but, at uh, all. I'm sure it yeah. was. That must have been yeah. quite an opportunity. He just, uh, yeah. claimed, he just claimed that poem, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, is a, he is a guy who's one of my heroes, you know. If you, if you grew up... In the 70s, as as I did, and I'm sure you did, you grew up dancing to that music, listening to that music. In fact, that's probably some of his albums were probably some of the earlier albums that I was buying along with Earth, Wind, and Fire and some more folks. Absolutely. And I know that you do a lot of work with young people also. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You've had me doing some of that, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, yes, I do. I think I think it's important to... Always connect uh, the generations. Uh, that's that's the most important role that an artist can engage in, regardless of what the art form is, uh, to connect young folks with the generation and show them that they, too, can do whatever it is that you do. Absolutely. Because I know you had the opportunity to visit my class when I was teaching, when I had that little teaching gig out at UNC in Chapel Hill, and the kids talked about that workshop that you did for two weeks straight when we broke and went back to the auditorium for lunch. And I guess a couple of the students had um, won a book of your poetry. Mm-hmm. They ran around showing everybody and showing all the administrators and just talking about the wonderful time that they had in that class. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do that because it made quite an impression on those young kids. It's uh, you give to get. In essence, uh, it's what you hand out and what you get in return. I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to uh, go out to a juvenile detention center out near Asheville, uh, uh, where I work, had done a teacher's institute out towards the coast. And one of the teachers there was from uh, this juvenile detention center in Swannanoa, North Carolina, up in the mountains. And she asked if I could come there, and I arranged it based on some other things I was uh, doing in the western part of the state and stopped through, and here was about 20, 25 young men, and uh, we engaged in what was supposed to be a two-hour experience, but it ended up being three hours plus because it just went so well. They were very well involved. Uh, One of their other teachers engages uh, about half of those young men in a poetry experience five days a week. Mm. So it ended up being uh, a wonderful experience for them and for me because for me it's it's, it's seeing and knowing uh, that young people get it. And, and it's not that they don't. They just need to be exposed and they can take it from there. And yep. so it's about, it's about, it's about, uh, again, uh, connecting the generations, giving them some sense of uh, what's happened before and how they're connected to it and how they can use that to tap into themselves to move forward in their lives. And I uh, I just had a wonderful time there. As I did, I used to do the self-same thing in Washington, D.C. Uh, for a much longer period, actually, I got invited to a detention center 
And I thought I was going one or two times, ended up going six days a week for a whole year on top of my regular job. Wow. That's definitely commitment and dedication and, and knowing what your purpose is in life also. And we ought to share our talents and gifts with the younger generation to mentor them and help them become the best human beings that they can possibly be and also to help bring out whatever creative energy that lies inside of them because these kids are so talented. And like you said, it just takes someone to take an interest and take the time to help them to develop and tap into their gifts. When I was uh, working here in Durham at the Haytai Heritage Center, which is uh, one of the major black cultural centers actually here in the country, uh, there was a group of young folks who were uh, sent to me, and I didn't know why at the time, but they came and said, we want to interview you and, and talk to you and everything. And I said, okay. And they were from a, a specific area in, 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 in Durham uh, called Five Points, and it turns out that um, they were part of this uh, project that was sending groups of kids to uh, identify who they saw as a hero, someone is of significance in the community, and they were sent to interview them, and the interviews would be transcribed. They would take photos, and, uh, oh, it really caught me off guard. You know, there experiences that you have that tend to bring uh, tears to your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so amazing that sometimes we don't realize the impact that we have on people's lives, you know, until it comes back around in a form like you just expressed with them wanting to interview you and considering you a hero. And you are. You are a legend here in North Carolina, especially in the Durham area. You're my hero. <laughs> and I really appreciate you and your wisdom, you know, and how, um, you know, you're such a historian of the art. And I like, I was looking through the book that you had given me, um, Bad Beats, Sacred Rhythm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I like what you said in your preface about spoken word being about meetings, mm -hmm. meetings of the words and meetings of minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, uh, that, that, that book, that anthology, which was actually published back in 1993, uh, was a collection of the poetry of a, uh, a group I founded, Actually, this is the 20th anniversary of that group. You know, my first book of poetry came out in 1988 uh, there in Washington, D.C., and I invited several artists, poets, and performers to come together and celebrate the release of that book. And uh, it turns out that uh, what happened was so wonderful that the, the folks there said, you know, this was good. We need to keep doing this. And that was back in uh, November, I guess it was, of... Uh, that year, and so I said, okay, so what do we want to do? So one of the folks said, why don't we go to senior centers during Kwanzaa? So we went to senior centers during that last last that last week of, uh, of December of 1988, uh, engaging senior citizens in poetry reading and performance and creative expression, wow. and it really took. And then we decided to take a name, the Spoken Word Performance Poetry Ensemble, uh, just before the name began to be, began to really stick as uh, the real representation and defining phrase for uh, what now is uh, referred to rather uh, cavalierly as spoken word. Before that, it was performance poetry, 
certainly uh, the whole notion of of rap is is a spoken word and an oral form of literature that is just as much connected to uh, the West African tradition of griots, uh, cultural historians, poets, performers who relate and give praise to the community and those in it, but also identify and, and boast <laughs> about what's good and what's bad. Absolutely. But, uh, our oral tradition is a very long one. And it's represented in the oratory of our speakers, just like, say, uh, for example, uh, Dr. King. And since we're speaking the day after Barack Obama's speech, which was 45 years after uh, the March on Washington, that oratory, the power of the spoken word, or what is referred to as NOMO, uh, is uh, alive and kicking and is an essential aspect of who we are as a people and it manifests itself in so many ways. It's an, an undeniable cultural expression and cultural engagement uh, that rewards those who take it on and, and become uh, true warriors in it, but also the community is uh, rewarded uh, when they have uh, such warriors in their midst. Absolutely, and like you said, the, the music and the spoken word and the whole genre of that has always been a part of our history and our culture and will always be. One of the things that you also said in your book that I thought was quite interesting is that um, you say, while others engage in the individualistic activity of masturbating their own egos and minds, I say there is no greater cause than to create for the collective well-being of us all. The intent is to inspire at the same time as heal the human condition through sound and word, tone, and meaning. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that, that's the responsibility of, of the artist, and in this case the spoken word artist. Uh, while we can, and many do, certainly engage in a sort of ego-fed uh, uh, mode of uh, posturing and presence, uh, the fact remains that you're given a gift. You know, the creator chooses the vessel, and that vessel may end up being you. And in, in, in that regard, I see it as being me. And it's, uh, you know, how you put that vessel to work, how you put that gift to work for the community that will tell the tale as to, uh, what your legacy will be. And Absolutely. if you've been given a gift, that gift needs to be shared and given back and uh, utilized in a ways and means that does indeed heal, that encourages and enhances the quality of life uh, for those around you. Right. And a lot of the rappers, and I'm not picking on the rappers, but I, that I, kind of came to me when I was reading that, think that they're doing exactly that, but sometimes I think that they're hurting us as a race of people um, because, you know, that music is, is really penetrating our society today, and the messages that are in the music, I'm not sure so much that they heal the human condition as, as much as it hurts. And so they feel that they're um, helping society because we're speaking the truth, we're telling it like it is, and this is our life, et cetera. But is mm-hmm. that really true, or is it what well, it's true. individualistic it's true. activity it's true. of their own egos and minds? Uh-huh. There's two things there. 
there's two things there, and you and you and you pointed it out uh, in, in regard to their own individual uh, feelings and minds. You know, there is certainly healing that has to manifest within the context of of even artists. You know, sometimes uh, there's something to be said for one's condition having so much so much impact, uh, and the uh, verbs and phrases, the rapping and intensity that we hear is a cry, a scream uh, for help. And we have to look at it in that context. Now, how do we engage that? Now, that's a difficult proposition, but it's a difficult proposition within the context of how we have to uh, engage uh, the fact that there's more to it than just the young folks engaging in rapping. There's a record industry, there is a dollar monetary bottom line, and oh, there is this, this this sort of this sort of belief that oh this is what sells, as opposed to realizing also that for every last one of those rappers that we hear, there's a hundred if not a thousand others out there, and many of those others out there are probably engaging in uh, a sort of conscious representation, a true responsible projection of the responsibility of the artist. Last night you had Will I Am and John Legend uh, recreating uh, the performance of uh, Barack Obama's Yes We Can speech. Well, it turns out that that interpretation, that oral interpretation of changing what was a political speech, if you will, during the primary period, into a performance art piece, a, a, a rap, a musical rendering, is the sort of transformation uh, that uh, is appropriate and available within the context of artists realizing their role. So you've got to give props to those young men and others who contributed uh, to that piece. In the self-same regard, there's a whole other aspect of storytelling. And, and, and rendering one's experiences. Now, I'm not going to say that every single rap that we hear is a reflection of true life experience, but it is one interpretation of that true life experience, good or bad. Right. And, so and, and in be that said for how overwhelmed we are by hearing the, if you will, uh, noise and nonsense. But again, that indeed is a scream, a yell, from our youth and from those specific artists relative to where they are, uh, letting us know there is truly a greater need in regards to our communities to bring about some sort of impact that changes the stories, changes the life, life experiences in a way that results in more positive and more uh, uh, healing and curative uh, expression. So that's their cry to bring attention to what they see as their plight for their generations, having to deal with the violence, with the, um, the sex everywhere and the drugs and alcohol. So that's mm -hmm. their cry to bring that attention is, to those causes? That's or? That, is, that, is, that, is, that is the uh, primal scream, as you would say, in regards to when one gets hurt, you put your hand in the fire, you yell. When you feel it and know it hurts, you scream out. And that screaming out means you need some sort of help, some sort of 
attention. And so it is about attention needing to be uh, uh, presented in a way that recognizes and changes that condition. There's a young woman uh, out of New Orleans relative to Katrina. She has a uh, uh, video based on her having just filmed that whole experience. She had just happened to buy a video. Uh, her, 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 the movie is Trouble the Water. And uh, she also had aspirations of being a rapper. She certainly had a previous life of not doing good, but Katrina brought out something in her with the fact that she utilized the technology to make a movie that has led to her also making a soundtrack for that movie to wrap that experience of what she was able to see being right in the midst of it all and the people that she uh, lived with. It's, a, it's an amazing movie, so I encourage folks to, to seek it out. But it's even more amazing that uh, it's allowed her to wrap uh, uh, and tell that story mm-hmm. via a whole nother mode. And, and so I think... Can you give Go us ahead. information, the name of that movie again, so the listeners, if they're interested, could try to seek it out to uh, get a copy of it? Yeah. The, the movie is entitled Trouble the Water, and the soundtrack to that movie, her, her recorded release <laughs> with her rapping is the same name, Trouble the Water. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And speaking of recordings, do you have any of your stuff? Have has any of your stuff been recorded? Do you have? Uh, yeah, there's 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 actually the spoken word uh, with all of those illustrious artists I mentioned, Butch Jackson, but then the poets themselves, Caprice Jackson, Joy Jones, uh, Kenny Carroll, and uh, uh, Lasana Mack. <laughs> Believe it or not, Lasana is a is the uh, uh, finance officer for the District of Columbia now. But that shows you that, you know, you can you can engage in a host of things. You don't you know, and I think this is one thing to tell young folks. It's not to be just one thing in life. It's you can be many. But we did a live performance uh uh at Howard University that was recorded uh and we released uh the audio portion. The video portion we never released and so I guess it's time I put that out on DVD, and before I do that, I need to get copies to the members of the Spoken Word Performance Poetry Ensemble, those those musicians like Doc Powell and dancers like Zion and, and the poets I just mentioned to say, hey, y'all never saw this, so all y'all did was hear what we did, but you need to see that. So that's one thing that I need to do. But then there was another recording uh, uh, called Acoustic Soulful Bebop Booms. <laughs> and it was put out on Eight Ball Records, and uh, uh, the collective there was called Peace Bureau. So it was me as a spoken word artist, and and uh, a couple of rappers uh, put this out. Uh, believe it or not, under the production of a cat named Eric uh, Hilton, who's gone on to establish uh, a uh, operation called Thievery Corporation. He's internationally renowned as a DJ and producer uh, engaged in sampling, especially jazz music and other musics uh, globally. We have a caller on the line right now, and let me call her. Mm-hmm. Well, no, what's good? What's good with it? Hi, how are you? Thank you for calling in. This is Far Rock Live, and our guest today is Daryl Silver. Do you have a comment or a question for him? 
not really. I just call it in, you know what I'm saying, just to see how this, uh, this little radio station goes, you know, to see how it is. But, uh, yeah, I'm calling from Iowa. From Iowa? Iowa City. Iowa City. Oh, well, what's your name, brother? What's your name, brother? Uh, my name is David. But you can call me King David, whatever, you know what I'm saying? But, you know what I'm saying? I'm a rap what? artist. Oh, okay. And uh, give us the title of some of your raps. How long you been there in Iowa City? Did you grow up there? Well, before you answer that, can you turn your um, audio down in the background because we're hearing the echo? Oh, my fault. Hold on. Okay, no what problem. Um, what was that question again? Uh, uh, did you grow up in Iowa City? Have you been there your your whole life, uh, or did you move there from someplace else? I moved there from someplace else. I'm from Rafael, Illinois. Okay, yeah, I've got family in Danville, the southern part of Illinois. Uh, but uh, yeah. how's your how's your art going? You know, have you got something recorded? Are you uh, uh, engaged in performing anywhere? I was wondering what y'all played on this radio station. Oh, well, the radio station is about engaging and talking to artists and others about their uh, art form. And so uh, I'm an artist out of Washington, D.C., but I've been here in North Carolina for about 12 years. And uh, Shirley, where are you from? Originally New York. Lived in California most of my adult life, though. So we got a we got a cross the country connection here. We got California, Iowa, DC, North Carolina, <laughs> all of that represented. They wrapping up in Iowa, huh? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's a, it's a small place, you know what I'm saying. A small town. It, it's hard to get noticed out here, but I'm still doing my thing. I've been rapping since 12. I'm 18 right now. Young, my shit hot. You know what I'm saying. I've been rapping for this long. Well, you know, I appreciate you calling in, and why don't you send me an email with your contact information, and we can certainly talk later on. But look here, I got a MySpace page. I'm about to send it to your chat room. You know what I'm saying? It's my, my link. So okay. Fix my page. That will work. Well, uh, all right. It was nice talking to y'all, though, for real. It was nice, nice talking, talking to, to you. And thanks for calling right. in. Thank you. Bye. All right, and I, I would like to make say though that the chat room is open, so please feel free to go to the chat room and you can email a question or a comment to our guest. And you're listening to Far Rock Live. This is your host Shirley coming to you from Durham, North Carolina, and our guest today is Daryl Stower, Stover, a poet, author, and spoken word artist. So, Daryl. I'm going yeah. to give you a few minutes to refresh yourself, so we'll take a break for about a minute and a half or so. That's cool. Let you wet your whiskers, and then we're going to talk about that green hat thing. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. Okay, we'll be right back. So in the meantime, we're going to listen to a little bit more of Sonia Sanchez, and this is her tribute to Tupac. Without his posse, without his song. It is autumn now, and we autumn breathe in this. 
up to uh, High Point, which is in the north-central part of the state. So they have a statue in High Point uh, and a uh, sculpted piece in honor of him, but then they have the, the, the house, the building that he was born in, has a plaque on it, and I was just able to visit uh, that spot um, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, yeah, I you know I got several Coltrane poems now, but um, to hear that uh, Sonia Sanchez piece uh, connects me to the fact that not only did Sonia Sanchez write and perform, but she recorded, and she recorded with musicians, she recorded with gospel choirs, so Nikki Giovanni and and others, and the whole notion of relating who we are and the challenges uh, and the ways and means of healing our condition through the spoken word, through the power of the spoken word, NOMO, uh, is uh, represented in, in her work especially. So she offers up uh, uh, inspiration and direction uh, with what she does. Oh, no doubt at all. And the performance behind her spoken word was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, the dancers that performed out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, words was really spectacular. I've never seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm. Want to write me a Coltrane poem, a poem that hits stars, shattering into rains of sound coming down all around. Shouts, screams, bebop, yells, bohemian black blows. <laughs> I hear you. I'm sitting up there looking at it. Let me pick up where you left off. Go on. Uh, uh, Coltrane poem, uh, poem snatching hearts into a love supreme cooperative collective of our favorite things, chilling, absolute cool, profound cool out there. Want to write Coltrane. I said Coltrane, a Coltrane poem, a poem sending thank yous to you whenever, wherever you are played in brain. In the great on and on, take us. Take us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to tell us about this green hat thing. How did you get that reputation? Oh goodness gracious! Hold on gracious. with green hats. Oh, that's that that that's that's a that's 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 oh to tell my age. That's <laughs> from my that's from my undergraduate years at the University of Maryland College Park, and there's a fraternity that was started at Hampton University in the late 60s, football players and architects. And uh, a chapter was established in uh, the University of Maryland College Park in 77. It's not one of those big major black Greek organizations, but all the same, its colors are green and blue. Gamma Epsilon Theta had a major impact on uh, allowing for something different to happen at a predominantly white institution, mainly the University of Maryland College Park. And it was the second group of guys that pledged after I pledged the uh, initial line. uh, Because our colors were green and blue, they gave me a green daub. And out of respect to them, I wore it everywhere on campus. And so everybody saw me. I was sitting in a a virology class, believe it or not, because I have a background in science and art. But uh, 250 people in that lecture hall and I was running for student government president. And uh, the professor in that class said he wanted to speak to the young man in the green hat at the back of the room. 
and he let me know that Darrell, look, you got to step it up. Your grades, you know, you 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 you're doing a good thing on this campus, both studying microbiology and <laughs> running for student government president. And then a few weeks later, after I stepped it up with my quiz grades and otherwise, he held up class about five minutes early to point out, hey, look, everybody in this classroom, there's an election coming. And uh, uh, one of your fellow classmates, it's not every day that somebody engaged in the sciences runs for, for an office, but he's running for office, and as far as I can tell, y'all need to be voting for him. Uh, needless to say, uh, I went on being elected the first black president of the student government uh, at the University of Maryland College Park in 1980. It sort of predates Jesse Jackson and the Rainbow Coalition. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, I, I could be crass and say it predates <laughs> Barack Obama. <and> his <laughs> You're one uh, of the pioneers, but, huh? Yeah, yeah, but uh, who knows what contribution was made there. Probably none. But the no, I'm sure it was that, significant. The significant <laughs> no, impact of the, of, the, of the campus political scene required that to happen at that time, and and it did, and it manifested a, a collective body of people, a diverse body of people making a difference on the campus. So uh, I have to say that uh, wearing that green hat made a difference, but I continued to wear green hats after I graduated from the university. And so my first book of poetry is entitled Record of the Green Hat Chronicles, Volume in which, 1. In which the poem that we just uh, read for John, uh, John Coltrane is a part of that collection. That's correct. That was my first chapbook published 20 years ago, in 1988. And uh, like I said, as a result of that, the group, the Spoken Word Performance Poetry Ensemble, uh, was established. So uh, each each event, each action, you know, each creation in turn has a way of uh, fueling the next step in the process. When you're on a path, uh, a journey, if you will, if you look at life that way. When you're on the appropriate path and take the appropriate actions, each step is very easy. You're, you're guided and led in a way uh, that uh, my being here in North Carolina and, and how things are manifested here is just as much a part of that as uh, uh, that collectivity of events there in the other D.C., Washington, D.C., versus here in Durham City, <laughs> Durham county uh here in Haiti, that that black community that has a very very rich rich uh history and heritage oh very rich most definitely and you're absolutely right about that i was having that discussion the other day with a friend and we were talking about as long as you're in your purpose you're on your journey everything you need is on that path you know, all the people that you need to help get you where you need to go is on that path. It's when we there, we take those little detours, is where we miss certain things, you know, from our lives. We have about 13 minutes left remaining to the show, and right. I'd like to give the listeners an opportunity to call in if you have a question or a comment for our guest. The number to call in is 347 2020207 and I'd lo I'd like to also acknowledge the people that are in the chat room. We haven't gotten any questions yet, but we do have a few people in the chat room as well. So the chat room is open if you want to send in a question or a comment. And so let me ask you, let's veer from the, the subject a little bit 
and um, talk about the illiteracy, illiteracy rate among the young people today. I know you talk about the work that you've done in a prison, and it seems like the ground was already fertilized for those people to receive what you would, had to teach them as mm-hmm. far as them already getting some poetry lessons while they're incarcerated. Do you, do you see poetry as being a catalyst in the effort to alleviate the problems with illiteracy among the young people? Mm-hmm. I think I think you have to look at it this way. I mean, even especially rappers, you know, understand that freestyling comes about because you have a wide variety, a big vocabulary to pull from, and that that vocabulary comes from reading and, and playing, paying close attention to words. So when we look at the challenge uh, that uh, many young people have uh, with engaging writing and reading. Uh, it has to start early, you know. They, mothers and fathers need to read to their kids before they're even born. Let them hear words. Let them hear your voice. Let them hear the musicality and tone, the meaning that is represented uh, in hearing the spoken word. The power of the spoken word is just that, and it's very powerful. When you master it, you, you're okay. You can take care of yourself from there. You can speak up for yourself. You can speak up for others. But uh, literacy, both uh, within the context of an ability to use words to communicate both on paper and in speech, uh, is fueled by uh, having read a great deal. And certainly the short forms, and, you know, some of us who write epic poems, as I do, Run on Water is a prime example, which is a historical examination of black experience uh, during the Civil War on the coast of North Carolina. Can but you share a little? Or, can you share a little bit of that? With I, the, I, I can indeed, because that's what I share. That's what I was sharing with those young men out at Swannanoa at the uh, uh, detention facility. They were getting a history lesson and a poetry lesson. Uh, <laughs> but Run on Water, Tedi's tale. There are three poems of epic length. Uh, my name is Tedi. I'm a two times captured. North Carolina runaway slave looking for my wife and son. Now, the opening aspect of that poem defines who he is. Two times captured North Carolina runaway slave looking for his wife and son. And the poem goes on to relate uh, his six-year sojourn that carries him before and through the Civil War, uh, but through uh, the unfoldment of that war on the coast of North Carolina. Uh, but, I, I, it, it, like I said, it's an epic poem, and I don't want to get into it because then, oh, where do I stop? But that first uh, stanza that I just shared uh, more or less uh, defines who he is. And uh, I ended up having to write a whole other poem that was his wife's uh, voice and experience. Wow. And then his close friend, uh, Tobias. Toby, who went off, stole off, and became a member of the U.S. Colored Troop Regiment that came back to North Carolina, mm-hmm. and they ran into each other. But it's a very rich experience. Uh, it, it, that poem and those poems took on a life of their own uh, via uh, both uh, a serialized uh, program of the same name, Run on Water, on North Carolina Central University's radio station uh, several years back, and then uh, a staged performance using Morton Brooks and Jackie Marriott and my own son, uh, Darius Stover, uh, to uh, render that piece uh, in a way that uh, utilized the poetry, music, and performance uh, to uh, 
uh, perform the poetry and relate the history. And then I had a brother from Washington, D.C., a major historian, C.R. Gibbs, come down and give a, uh, a couple of lectures after the performances examining the experience of uh, uh, U.S. colored troop regiments, uh, a significant role. You know, you're talking about 180 to 200,000 U.S. colored troops, African-American brothers, serving in that war. Uh, that made a difference. Uh, and that's, so that's a whole other discussion when you talk about history and, and people's contribution, but it's also the power of the spoken word that manifested in that poem taking, taking shape and carrying us uh, uh, through uh, the life experiences of uh, a character I created based on researching a host of different narratives. Uh, so you, you read, you write, you study, you research but you let yourself be saturated with literature, saturated with uh, the writings and poetry and uh, uh, music even uh, of, of, of our people and allowing that to then contribute to your ability to communicate and create in turn. Absolutely, and that is sage advice. So, young people, I hope you are really listening and taking note. One of the things that you said that I thought was really interesting also is that that piece took on a life of itself. And I was wondering about that because sometimes it's hard to let go when you're writing your poetry or doing whatever. And I guess that's why it becomes, it, it, it kind of um, metamorphoses into a storytelling epic piece because it never seems like it's finished. It's like it's always something else that needs to say. And in that case, you you had to do it from the wife's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, um, there was just a small piece that was done for the radio, but you had teachers asking my former <laughs> director and boss at the Haiti Heritage Center, hey, we want something we can come to and see. You know, is there something we can come to and see? We've been hearing this this series where there's historians being interviewed and poetry being dramatized. And uh, so Diane Pledger, the executive director of the Haiti Heritage Center, mm-hmm. approached me and I said, okay, let me see what I can do. And uh, I ended up having to uh, write those other pieces uh, in a way that allowed for uh, that saturation to take place. At the same time, I'd been going out to the coast uh, filming uh, to put together a short film interpretation. Uh, of, of of poetry that examines that self same experience. So uh, right now I'm in that editing mode, and mm-hmm. hopefully I'm not the, the greatest editor on the planet. Uh, and that's a certain aspect of technology that's going to take a little bit of mastering for me to complete that. But the poetry's done, the performance pieces are done. Those were also filmed. Uh, the radio series uh, featured the the, the likes of. Uh, 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 William Gould, whose grandfather uh, was a runaway slave from out of Wilmington, took off on a boat, ended up in the Union Navy, but kept a diary of that experience, which his family in turn published uh, several years back. Uh, David Shashelsky wrote a book, Waterman's Song, which examined uh, the uh, black experience in slavery and freedom on the coast, and one major person, Abraham Galloway, uh, who uh, stole off but came back here as a spy. You know, Harriet Tubman did the same thing, but he mm-hmm. came back here as a spy and was elected as uh, uh, to the state legislature after the Civil War. Um, 
Then, of course, uh, our master historian, John Hope Franklin. Uh, oh, yeah. Relative to uh, post-Civil War, uh, where he talked about the significance of Reconstruction. And Reconstruction, that era after the war, is probably the most important historical period that all of us should be examining. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we have about four minutes remaining to the show, and again, if you want to call in and speak to our guest, the number to call in is 347-202-0207. So that must have been quite an honor for you to perform with your son. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he at that time was, uh, uh, he's 10 now, but uh, he was about five, <laughs> five, six then. And uh, he thoroughly got into it because he played the role of uh, T.D.'s son who was looking for it. The way the piece ends is him, after not seeing his father for six years, he was four years old when that all started uh, in the context of the story. And uh, uh, he sees a man watching him and his mother, and he asks his mother, Mama, why is that man staring at us? And the last line in the performance is, Boy, that's your daddy. Wow. That's how the the radio series ends. That's how the performance ends. Of course, uh, it was a struggle when I first wrote that poem that begins with, you know, my name is T.D., and it ends with that self-same line, my name is T.D., a two-times captured North Carolina runaway slave looking for my wife and son. So T.D.'s poem is not uh, complete in saying whether or not he found his wife and son. It just says he's still looking. And I had a, an elderly woman in, in one setting. I was sharing that point who, who said, well, he found his wife and son. And I said, well, ma'am, you, you know, the history is that many people didn't. She said, no, he found his son and his wife. And I said, well, ma'am, I'm still working with that right now. She says, no, he found his wife and son. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she just gave you the ending to it, huh? That's what, she was not going to accept another uh, uh, sorry ending. And, no, and and, and 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 it was important for him to find his wife and son, because uh, uh, we need to have uh, uh, one as opposed to lost, uh, and the power of it all is what she was dealing with, and why should there be this loss when this is so powerful? And so uh, I, I I had to pay all due respect to my elder, but I also had to understand that the story was telling itself through me as a vessel. Yes. And so in that regard, it was important for it to heal and cure and represent. And uh, so I think I represented uh, quite well uh, our our experience, our historical experience through, through poetry. And uh, I'm really enjoying the fact that uh, you pulled me in to do this uh, today, Shirley. And I would hope that you find others to do that. Maybe that brother uh, in Iowa City will get back with you and relate what his experiences and his creativity is all about. Indeed, and I'm certainly looking forward to following up uh, with him. And he did forward me that information about his MySpace page. And we have about 90 seconds left, Daryl. And Mm -hmm. I just want to thank you so much for uh, being a part of this show and for everything that you're doing in a community. And one of the things that you say in your book is um, the the bad beat, sacred rhythm, rhythm, Mm -hmm. is that uh, you see a need for artists to be a warrior, a fighter for truth. Well, my brother, you are that 
warrior and you're definitely fighting for truth and you're letting the truth be known and we love you and we appreciate you for that we have about maybe 30 seconds left daryl so i want to give Mm -hmm. you the last few minutes of the show to say whatever's in your heart to the young people that may be tuning into the show tonight uh word sounds have power those are the lines from a dub poet out of jamaica by the name of muda baruka uh, I got to meet him when he would come to perform in Washington, D.C., and uh, I hold myself up to that self-same tradition of understanding that the power of the spoken word is a responsibility. And most importantly, if you're chosen as a vessel to deliver it, make sure it's about you, your family, your community benefiting from it. That's a big challenge and a big responsibility, but I know those who engage it can certainly hold up and live up uh, to that tradition. And I encourage all to uh, continue to create. Uh, Thanks for being, Shirley, and you folks listening, thank you for being as well. Thank you so much, Daryl, and you have a blessed evening, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.